0: Well, good morning, everybody here in the sanctuary and joining us from Farmington Hills campus and watching online. Good morning to you. We are working our way through the New Testament book of Acts as we rediscover church. Now, we're still in the early chapters of Acts, and we're looking at the foundation of the church and the values of the early church. Later, we're going to see how the early church sent out and commissioned missionaries to other parts of the world. And we're going to do something similar to that Right now, with me on the platform is Rachel and Debbie and Sue, and they are heading out next week as your ambassadors to Morocco and Spain. Over the last several years, as we've gotten involved with and learned more about the fight against human trafficking, we have partnered with an organization called Not Abandoned. And Not Abandoned, uh, we helped them start what they call a freedom center in Thailand, and maybe you've heard about that or maybe have been a part of one of the mission trips that have gone there in recent years in Thailand. But now we're helping not abandon, start a new freedom center in Southern Spain. And I want to kind of have you look at a map here to see why this is such a strategic location. Uh, southern Spain uh, in the port city of Algeciras. That's where the Freedom Center is going to be. Uh, And Algeciras is the largest port city in the Mediterranean, and it's become a key gateway city for trafficked women from the south, from the continent of Africa, North Africa, especially countries like Morocco, uh, Algeria. Those women are taken here to southern Spain and Europe. Uh, women also are taken here, so it's a key spot to have a freedom center. A freedom center is a place where girls and women can come and learn about health and about their bodies. They learn job skills. They can receive counseling for trauma. Uh, they, In this case, they learn Spanish uh, to give women everything they need to be set free. And so the, the, you three uh, ladies are heading off and you're gonna start in Morocco and kind of learn about why the Moroccan women are especially susceptible, vulnerable to this kind of uh, work and, and kind of trace what happens when they're taken here. And then you're gonna teach in the Freedom Center and Debbie, you're a nurse, she'll be teaching some healthcare things and you'll be there for a while with those women, with those girls. And then you're gonna come back and have some ideas for our whole church about how we can get more involved in this fight. So thank you for going. It's an arduous, long, um, emotionally, spiritually, physically taxing journey for the three of you. And I want to thank you for that. I think the whole church would like to pray for you uh, right now. Oh, oh God, we pray uh, for Rachel and Debbie and Sue. And as they start this journey, may they know your protection, your provision, your strength, your guidance, and your care and for all the girls and women with whom they will interact over the next three weeks. Um, Oh, God, may they be ambassadors of hope. May they be a voice for Jesus. Uh, May they be in some way uh, your voice and mechanism for freedom. Uh, We pray against this evil around the world and pray that these girls that are trapped would know freedom, physical and spiritual, and would have hope for a new day. So may you work in and through this team. We commission them now in Jesus' name. And the whole church said, amen. 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 Thank, you. Thank you all for your work. Yeah, fantastic. Be praying for them. They'll be gone for three weeks. It's a long trip. All right today in the book of Acts chapter five, uh, we're gonna see one of the first challenges faced by the early church, by the earliest Christian community. And it's the same challenge that any group that gets serious about spiritual life faces. And it is the temptation to pretend. The temptation to pretend. And all of us, uh, everyone here knows this temptation, and everyone has given into this temptation. Everybody here at some point or another has pretended to know things you did not know or to have achieved things you haven't achieved. We all feel this temptation to pretend that we are smarter or wiser or humbler or cleaner or whatever more than other people. And uh, to show how widespread this is, I want to tell you some, some, a few scenarios where people are commonly tempted to pose, to be posers, and I'm going to ask you very honestly here at in Farmington Hills to raise your hand if you have ever done that. All right, scenario number one, you are slouching off, you are slacking, uh, you're watching TV, you're on your phone, you're napping maybe, and somebody walks into the room. Might be a spouse, might be a parent, might be an employer, might be a roommate. Uh, Have you ever quickly switched gears and pretended like you were doing something very productive? Anybody ever done that on the spur of the moment? Yes, all hands at Farmington Hills as well. I hope you're participating. Uh, Great, scenario number two, you're in a conversation And somebody brings up the name of a book or the name of a famous person that you feel like you should know, but you don't know, but you pretend that you do know. Anybody ever done that in a conversation? Uh, Raise your hands, yes. Um, Third scenario, anybody ever raise their hands just because everybody else raised their hands? (laughs) Like, you weren't even listening to the question, but you wanted people to think you were listening to the sermon, and so you raised your hands. Yeah. I want to tell you about one of my more embarrassing poser moments that happened to me. I told you this story years ago. A lot of you know that my family, we have a travel trailer, and we like to camp in the summertime. And one of our very first camping trips years ago was out west. We pulled it all the way to Yellowstone National Park. And somewhere between here and there, we were at a campground. And those of you that do camp, you know that camping people are very friendly. We discovered that right away. And so pretty soon, we were all set up, and a group of guys started to gather. And I was standing in a circle of of men in a conversation. And these weren't just men. these These were manly men. These were, these were flannel-wearing, beard-growing, tool-using, sporty, handy, manly men, and I was right there with them. And then one of the guys in the circle looks over my shoulder at our camper and our tow vehicle, and he asks a question. He says, oh, you have a Chevy Suburban. And here's the question, what size engine you got in that thing? And I blanked. It was probably information I knew at one point, but in that moment, it was completely gone to me. And you can't just guess at something like that. It's probably a number of some kind, but I don't know. I don't know what the parameters are. Can I say it's it's, it's a size 14? You know, what, what, that would be. So I'm. So I don't know what to say. Here's here's what I said. This is this is uh, humbling. The question was what size engine you got in that thing, and I said, plenty big for what I'm hauling. As soon as I said it, I was like, who said that? Like, like I've ever personally used the word "Holland" before. And it, and it was Holland, H-A-U-L-I-N, Holland. And I thought I was out of it, but the guy wouldn't let it go. He said again, no, really, what size engine you got in that thing? And I'm reaching for that candy bar that's supposed to make you give you a minute to think about things, and I don't know what to, uh, what to say. I was, I was about to gesture with my hands. Oh, it's a big one. When a guy in the circle rescued me and he said, oh, Chevy Suburban, that's a 3.5 liter, right? And I said, right. Some of you shaking your heads no. (laughs) Is that that not right? (laughs) Well, I just said right in the heat. The conversation went on, uh, thankfully, to another topic. As I lay in bed that night processing my day, I felt like God was telling me, I want you to think about that exchange, And God does this to me sometimes at the end of a day. I want you to think about what was going on in your heart and mind at that moment. I've got a lesson here for you. And I was thinking, I was with these guys, we were all getting along, and I wanted to fit in, but underneath it, I had this fear that said, if you guys really knew me, if you really knew how little I actually know about cars, if you really knew how unhandy I am. If you really knew, it took me 37 tries to back that camper into its spot. (laughs) If you really knew me, you wouldn't want me in this circle. You wouldn't want to be my friend. No, I didn't think of any of those things that overtly, of course, but it was there beneath the surface, just the same. And this kind of thing happens in churches all the time. People come in, they want to get to know God in deeper ways, they want a richer form of community, and they gather with some church people and things are kind of clicking, but underneath there is this fear inside you, maybe, or inside the person you're talking to that says, if you really knew me, if you really knew how little I actually know about the Bible, if you really knew the doubts that I harbor if you really knew the dark thoughts that enter my mind, if you really knew what I've done in my past, you wouldn't want me in this circle. You wouldn't want to be my friend. And so we pretend. We pretend to know more Bible than we do. We pretend to be more spiritual than we are. We pretend to have less doubts than we actually do. And the community of the transformed becomes the community of the pretender. And this happens all the time. This is the threat that faces the earliest Christian community. It's the threat that faces every church since. The temptation to pretend. Now we read a stark example of this in Acts chapter 5. This is one of the most sobering and may I add bizarre stories, not just in the book of Acts, but in the whole of the Bible. A husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, sell some property. They give part of the money to the church, but they say that they gave all the money to the church. They lie about it and they both fall over dead. Now relax, this is not a sermon today about giving to the church. So that could be tempting, that's very motivating, give or you may fall over dead. Um, I'd like to announce the new give or die campaign that's going to start next week. This is about generosity, but it's much deeper than that. This is way more dangerous than that. Here's what's going on. This new community is being formed, centered in Jesus, and people are being spiritually transformed. People who are far from God are getting close to God. People who hated each other are becoming one in Jesus. The, the old walls and barriers are falling down by the day. And one of the, one of the most striking aspects of transformation is the way these people think about their money, think about their stuff. They begin to hold things loosely Right? They, 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 they see people in need and they respond with radical generosity. They sell things, they give stuff away, and the ways that they serve the poor are just mind-boggling. These ordinary, sometimes materialistic people have their thinking transformed and radical, audacious generosity becomes normalized. And Acts chapter 4 includes a story about this. A guy named Joseph sells a field and gives the money to the church. He lays it at the apostles' feet for them to distribute as they see fit. And the apostles are so encouraged by this. They're so grateful. uh, They say to him, we're so grateful to you. And the name Joe doesn't cut it anymore. We, the apostles, are going to give you a brand new name. We're going to call you Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Because you have been such an encouragement, such a joy, not only to us, but to this whole community. So it's a really great story. And here's where it goes bad. One couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they see this going on. They watch it all. They watch the celebration. But it brings them no joy. Because they're not the ones being celebrated. And they think, we'd love people to say, wow, about us. We'd love the apostles to change our name. We'd love to be the object of respect and honor. Now notice, uh, they don't long to become generous people. They long to be known as generous people. They think I would like to have a reputation for spiritual greatness. And this becomes a danger in the new community. It becomes a danger to any community that gets serious about spiritual growth. The danger is that after some initial effort, People will choose to be known for being spiritual rather than actually being spiritual. This is the first tension they feel. That people will choose to be known for being spiritual rather than actually being spiritual. Because being spiritually whole, having fullness of spiritual life, a depth with God, a depth of character, actually being spiritual, that takes work. It takes discipline. It requires humility. And it's not automatic. And the pursuit of spiritual wholeness uh, can be elusive and, and, and it can be uh, frustrating. So I will settle, maybe I want that, I really want authentic spiritual wholeness, but when it doesn't happen, I will accept being known for being spiritual. Being known for being spiritual is actually way easier to wrap my mind around. It's easier for me to control other people's perceptions than it is for me to control my own heart. Again, maybe maybe I genuinely started out wanting this spiritual experience and depth of character, but I'll settle for simply being known. And so the danger here is that the quest for spiritual life will get twisted and will lead to something different, something altogether different, something actually more dangerous than if I had not pursued spiritual growth to begin with. Throughout downtown Northville, every October, there are these plastic skeletons on display. Maybe you've seen them, and each skeleton is positioned and dressed according to the business that it is out in front of. So, for example, outside of a restaurant, there might be a a skeleton wearing a chef's hat and and making some kind of stew. Or outside of the jewelry store, uh, there's a boy skeleton proposing to a girl skeleton. And a lot of people think these are uh, fantastic, and people come from all over to see these. Uh, I find these things to be kind of the perfect intersection between cute and creepy. (laughs) Uh, And I don't know how our town became known as Skeleton Town Um, But it's okay. It's it's, it's all in the spirit of fun, and I'm very okay with that. But by way of illustration, these skeletons can become sort of a graphic picture uh, uh, of religion gone wrong. Hollow, empty, soulless people pretending to have a good time. Dead people pretending to be alive. And worse than that, people choosing the perception of life over real life. Now, who would do that? Who would choose the perception of real life over real life? Who would do that? And the answer is you would. We all would. We all do. In small and subtle ways, when real life, when real fullness of life eludes us, we will settle for the mere perception of fullness of life. Isn't that what Facebook and Instagram are largely for? I want to manage people's perceptions of me. I want you to see my curated life, not my real life. We make small and subtle choices that reveal what we really want. This all reminds me of the icebreaker party game, Would You Rather? If you ever play this game, Would You Rather? People are asked two uh, choices, a forced choice question. You have to choose one between two alternatives. Uh, we'll play a couple rounds here just to give you the feel for the game. Uh, the question might be something like, Would you rather be rich or famous? And you have to choose one or the other. You can't choose both. Would you rather be rich or famous? Here's the way we're going to play in Farmington Hills and here. Uh, we're going to make you identify yourself. If you'd rather be rich, uh, would you stand to your feet right now and take your vote? If you'd rather be famous, you'll vote by remaining seated. Want to be rich, stand up. Famous, stay seated. Farmington Hills, too. Thank you. Okay, you can kind of see where your friends are. Okay, have a, have a seat. We'll play another round. Would you rather be smart or good looking? Have to choose one. Smart or good looking? Let's have the, the people who want to be good looking stand up, and people who want to be smart stay down. People for a good looking stand up? Okay, thank you. You can sit down now. I don't know what happened in Farmington Hills. More people uh, said they wanted to be smart, and I don't believe you. I think you just did that because you felt like that was the right thing. Now, a question might be two difficult things. This is our last one we'll do. Would you rather be embarrassed in front of strangers or embarrassed in front of friends? You're going to be embarrassed. Would you rather be embarrassed in front of strangers or be embarrassed in front of friends? We'll vote this way. If you'd rather be embarrassed in front of strangers, stand to your feet and go ahead and be embarrassed in front of strangers right now. Okay, have a seat. Now, in the game, would you rather, it always pits two good things or two bad things. The game never asks you to choose between a good thing and a, and a bad thing. That, that, that'd be too easy. Uh, there, there's no question that says, would you rather swim in raw sewage <laughs> or win a million dollars? You know, that's not, that's not a question that's too, that's too easy, but there are really thoughtful questions. Like this, this is really from a book on this. Would you rather be the smartest person in the world and nobody knows about it Or would you rather be average intelligence and have everybody think you're the smartest person in the world? (laughs) Now that gets at something like we're talking about today. Would you rather be the smartest person in the world and nobody knows? Or would you rather be average intelligence and have everybody think you are the smartest person in the world. This, these are the kinds of questions, nobody asks those questions overtly, but this is the kind of questions that the early church is dealing with. Would you rather be generous or be known as being generous? Would you rather be spiritual or be known as being spiritual? These questions get at the core of what we really want and, and what we think is easiest to achieve and to control. And we see in the community of Jesus in the first century and in every century since People wrestle with these tensions between being known for being spiritual and being spiritual, and then between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. That's the language Jesus used. There's this kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world is all about perception, and it's all about competition. How can I be richer, stronger, smarter, more successful than other people? And Jesus comes along and says to the human race, you don't need to live that way. That insane scramble to prove your superiority, you can just die to that. You can step right out of that rat race and you can enter the kingdom of God. And so in the first century, a lot of people do that. They decide they're gonna die to themselves and enter the kingdom of God. And then uh, they get together and then someone in the group has this sneaky idea I bet I could die to myself better than anybody else. (laughs) I bet I could be the deadest person in this whole group. And then the competition kicks in again, although now it's not a competition about who's the richest and strongest. Now it's a competition about who knows the Bible the best, who gives the most money, who disapproves of this world the hardest, uh, who's the number one church member, who's gone the most days without missing devotions. And when that happens, when that competition happens, it's not the church anymore. The church can become another kingdom of this world just with a religious scoring system. And when that happens, it ceases to be the church. And this is what happened to Ananias and Sapphira they sell their land, they decide to give some of the money away and keep some of the money, and that's okay, that was theirs to decide. They were free to choose that. But they say they gave all the money away and they choose to lie. And their decision to deceive the community wasn't just a spur of the moment casual thing. In verse 9, we're told that it was a premeditated, deliberate decision on behalf of a husband and a wife. Peter says to Sapphira, How is it that you have agreed together? They agreed together, they conspired beforehand, they deliberately choose to lie. And this story isn't just about deception. There's another tension here in this story. It's the tension about using the church for selfish benefit. It's a deliberate choice to use the church, uh, to use the church instead of serve the church. To use the church instead of serve the church. This is the last tension we'll talk about to hit the early church. Um, Ananias and Sapphira decide to use the church to get what they really want, which is self-exaltation. And God will not allow that. God will not allow his bride to be violated and used. God will not allow uh, his dream for the human race to be destroyed. He cannot. He is committed to the protection of his bride. God will not tolerate people misusing the church. Now this can be very subtle. And of course, whenever you give, you also receive. We've all learned that. When you bless, you are blessed. I'm not talking about that. I want to give you a few examples of what using the church might look like in our day. When I study the Bible in order to win theological arguments and show people how smart I am, I am misusing the church. When I subtly seek to let other people know how spiritual I am, I am misusing the church. When I join a little clique inside the church that gossips about, critiques, and excludes those outside of my clique, I am misusing the church. When I become judgmental about the way other people worship or other people's spiritual life, I am misusing the church. All of us need these moments of truth in our lives periodically, where we own up to what we've done and to who we are and throw ourselves in the grace of our Heavenly Father. There comes a moment of truth in this story. They come now and again for every human being. And maybe one comes to you today. One comes in this story for Sapphira in verse 8. She enters the room, and she's probably expecting there to be a lot of rejoicing because her husband has just made this terrific gift. But she doesn't know what happened. She walks in the room, and she has this kind of uh, strange silence. And Peter says to her, tell us, Is this the price you got? The price that you said you got, is it the truth? And I imagine the whole room just kind of holding their breath to see what Sapphira will do. Will she own the truth? Will she own the truth about what she has done? And she does not. She refuses to own the truth about what she's done and who she's become. And she chooses deception. And she chooses death. Death. Into every life come moments of truth. And I want to invite all of us to have one of these moments of truth with our God right now. To take time to examine your own life and to look for and to acknowledge the bad things in us as well as the good things. To own that. To have an honest conversation with God. To own the truth about who I am and who you are before God. Into every life come moments of truth. And times when we are invited by the severe mercy of God to face up to the truth about ourselves. And maybe your moment is right now. Maybe today is your day. Maybe today is the day you decide that you will live as an open, honest, sin-confessing member of a community of faith. Maybe today's the day you decide you'll get honest with your small group. Maybe this is the day you die to image management. And I want to recommend a helpful spiritual practice recommended by Jesus himself. You know, whenever you talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, they generally fall into two categories. There's the disciplines of engagement, things that you will do, and there's disciplines of abstinence, things you will stop doing. And so reading the Bible is a discipline of engagement. Fasting from food is a discipline of abstinence. This one's hard to characterize by this. What Jesus recommends is a very unique spiritual discipline. He talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus now. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus the problem is, when you give and get applauded and celebrated for it, that that, that applause, that celebration can become addictive. And you lose your motive. So if that's you, try giving secretly and you will learn a very important lesson that you don't need the applause. You will discover their joy that comes from just doing good. A joy that comes from giving. Now, I want to say it's a normal and healthy thing for people to recognize and affirm gifts. And as a church, we try to thank and affirm people who contribute time, talent, and treasure. It is okay to give a gift, and it's okay to be recognized for that gift. But if you find that you are personally prone to caring too much about what other people think, then this spiritual practice is for you. And I want to challenge everybody today to try some acts of secrecy, uh, this coming week. Do something nice for someone in a way that they can't figure out that it's you. You're at the workplace this week and you see a way that you can advance somebody else with no benefit to you, go ahead and do it. Uh, maybe secretly reek, uh, rake the leaves of a, of a neighbor in your community. You're out to lunch today, secretly arrange to pay somebody else's bill and, you, and just watch the waitress try to explain it to that person. You're out to lunch today and you see the pastor? You know, use your imagination. Find ways to practice secret acts of kindness. If Ananias and Sapphira had practiced this and had said, look, let's sell the land. Let's not give all the money away because we're not ready to do that, but let's give it in secret to bless the community. If they had done this one thing, this story would have a very different ending. This one practice, if they had appropriated it, And practice it diligently would have turned their whole lives around. That's why Jesus recommends this practice especially to people who are trying to do good things. Who are prone uh, to get off track. Prone to get caught up in making people think that we are good. Jesus says do things secretly. If you're prone in that direction, discover the joy that comes from doing good. Not just from having people think you are good. Give up the whole project of trying to manage your image for other people die to it Jesus Christ died to create a new community where people can live in freedom and authenticity a community where people don't feel the need to pretend and people can be themselves they can be real without the fear of being rejected a community that serves other people not because of what they can get but just out of sheer love for God So don't get caught up in the religious rat race that sometimes infects the church. Don't go through life as a dressed-up skeleton. Don't become spiritually smug and self-righteous. Instead, get to know the Heavenly Father from whom your real affirmation must come. I'd remind you something about our Heavenly Father, and that is that God loves you fully now. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you any more or less than he does right now. There's a lot of things we should be doing, of course, and encourage you to obey and give and serve to to, to the extent that you can. But no, there is nothing that you can do that will make God love you more or less than he does already. God already loves you fully. God loves you with an unconditional, limitless, endless love. So no pretending, no manipulating, no spinning, be real, walk in freedom, choose life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this early community of Jesus followers and for the written record of their lives together in the book of Acts. Thank you for the inspiration that we can draw from them today. Mold us to be the new community that you envisioned. Give us the courage to be real with you and real with one another. Help us resist the temptation to drift into competition and self-righteousness. Forgive us when our pursuit of spiritual growth has gotten off track and becomes self-serving and self-promoting. Give us courage to own the truth about ourselves and to change. Transform us to be an authentic community of your people, walking in freedom and grace. This we pray through Christ our Lord, and the whole church said together, amen, amen.